Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. And we are back with our International News Review. Steve Oaken with us in the studio. Steve, good day to you. Happy National Day, Glenn. Happy National Day, Neil. Hey, we got a lot to talk about. The big story is Beijing, Washington. Relations have really, really frayed and fractured in the, in the recent days uh, since Nancy Pelosi and her congressional delegation visited Taiwan on Tuesday night, I believe it was, after being in Singapore and being in Malaysia. Um, uh, wow, what a mess. Where, where, where do we go from here? We all know what's been going on. Well, I mean, the question is, why did Nancy Pelosi go to China, uh, go to go to Taiwan for a symbolic visit that you knew was going to needlessly provoke mm-hmm. China that, that didn't do anything to bolster, you know, Taiwan's security interests? And so that's the real question now is you got almost nothing out of this. And the countermeasures that China is taking, both against Taiwan and against the United States, are real. And the question is, how long is it going to last? And just to add to that, on Friday, 68 Chinese military aircraft, 13 Navy ships were conducting missions in the sensitive Taiwan Strait. As you mentioned there, eight countermeasures. They're very, very long, but suspending all kinds of cooperations between China and the U.S. on criminal matters, on climate change, on transnational crimes. It's very hard objectively here, Steve, to see any positives gained from this. I mean, it's not like we weren't surprised. Glenn and I and yourself, amongst thousands of other political commentators, journalists, analysts, all said this before it happened. There's nothing to gain here. Now, just read you in the Straits Times today, uh, a colleague, a friend of yours, veteran Singapore diplomat, Bilahari Kausikan, has said that in a way, I'm paraphrasing, She had to go because the opposite is what? It's geopolitical bullying. If something goes, if you go to, if you comment about Taiwan to China, China will do this, therefore China, we step back. I'm not saying I agree with it. That's the counterpoint, right? Is it a case of Nancy Pelosi standing up to the equivalent of geopolitical bullying? I mean, look, this is where the, the Biden administration and the U.S. government completely muddled this entire thing because she should have never gone to begin with. She should have never announced publicly or it should not have been leaked that she was considering to go. Mm -hmm. Because again, what was the purpose of this visit beyond the symbolism that she had every right to go? There's no question the U.S. government can send a delegation, a congressional delegation to Taiwan. As they they have done many times over the years. Yeah, but, but you can't If you're going to announce this publicly, and it was a leak, and it was a deliberate leak um, that she was going to go, then, of course, China says, no, we don't want you to go. You shouldn't go. We're going – if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Then Bill Hari's right. Then you can't back down. Then you are not going – then you can't allow yourself to be bullied over what the U.S. government can or can't do with regards to Taiwan. But you should have never put yourself in that position to begin with. That is where the huge mistake was made um, by Speaker Pelosi's office in plan, in contemplating going, getting a leak out there from wherever it came, and then the U.S. can't back down. And now you're in all of these countermeasures that are coming against Taiwan primarily, um, but against the United States as well. So three things come to mind. One. Uh, quite a number of people in Taiwan are grateful yep. that she went, that she yep. showed up and have expressed that publicly. Two, she this is a stand that she has had uh, pro-Taiwan, but also one country, 
you know, uh, the, the official U.S. line for decades. She also, also spoke out strongly against Tiananmen Square at that time. And three, we're in a political season where the Republicans and the Democrats are squaring off on who's better on national security and will soon be ramping that up as we get into midterm elections in the next uh, few, few months. So, you know, is there – I don't think there was a, ever a chance that she, based on those factors, that she wasn't going to do this. Look, what's the U.S. <laughs> national interest when it, when it comes to, to U.S.-China relations? The U.S. has said we are going to do three things basically. We are going to compete with China where we are going to compete with them economically and that's something that's happening right here, you know, in, in Singapore and Southeast mm. Asia and in, in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, right? So we're going to compete with China. We're going to confront China when we need to confront them like the militarization of the South China Sea, like from the U.S. perspective, the genocide that, that is occurring uh, in, in Xinjiang. And then we are going to cooperate with China where it's in our national interest to do so, such as on climate change, such as on pandemics. Yeah. Okay, so what happens after Nancy Pelosi's visit to, to Taiwan, right? The countries in the region are not in favor of her going there. There was, there's mm. nobody speaking out saying this is a good idea from an Indo-Pacific perspective to have her go because what do we gain from it? So it doesn't help you when it comes to your competition. And now China's saying we're not going to cooperate with you anymore, or certainly for the time being, on climate change, which is very critical to yeah. the entire planet. So what does the United States get out of this? How is, their national, how is the United States national interest advanced? It doesn't matter if the people in China Taiwan are happy that she went or not happy that she went. The question is, what is in the U.S. national interest? And for now, it doesn't seem that it advances what the U.S. is trying to do with the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. It doesn't advance what the U.S. is trying to do in terms of climate cooperation with mm -hmm. China. And it certainly it, and it's ramped up the confrontation. And the question is, what do you get from ramping up this confrontation? But, um, you talk about what can be gained. Apart from the personal kudos or legacy, I kind of think there's an, a legacy element here to Nancy Pelosi's comments and decisions. Even within Singapore, you know, a, a statement was released by the Ministry of Home Affairs about Nancy Pelosi commenting on LGBTQ community in Singapore at a very volatile time for Singapore on this issue. Now, I'm very careful not to conflate the two issues here, but it's, again, the idea is a foreign diplomat going into a country and commenting on countries' domestic issues. It does give... It, you're, sticking, you're provoking a stick, you're, you're, you're interfering in issues that don't concern you. There's a fine line between, in this particular instance, diversity within the workplace and looking like political advocacy in somebody else's country. What is Nancy Pelosi doing this week? Well, look, I mean, on, on this issue, Nancy Pelosi is not a diplomat. Nancy Pelosi is the third-ranking person exactly. in the United States government. And Nancy Pelosi says, when we, the United States, travel around the world, we talk about the things that matter to us, that are important to us. And we talk about, and, and she said, we talk about fighting anti-Semitism wherever we go. We talk about uh, discrimination against the LGBTQ community as well as other human rights priorities, where we go and where that's relevant. And she said, because Singapore is such a vibrant place, because so many people are coming here, we, the United States, want them to come here without an obstacle, right? That is what she said. And then where Singapore took issue in, is, was, not, was that this message was delivered to the business community, and she said she wants the business community to deliver the message that to attract the very best people, we have to be respectful of married couples and marriage equality. This is where the Ministry of Home and Affairs came out, and then they cautioned 
the foreign business community said you you if diversity is important to you as a company that's great but yep. you are not supposed to be crossing a line to talk about social issues in Singapore we handle those ourselves yeah and that's where it ended up and that's a fair point and I think you know I, I was at I was I was in front of her when she was speaking those comments and and I think she was very much. Um, look, I think she was well, very much... I was going much, to ask you, was she asked a question and she was just responding? No, no, or? it was just her comments. But okay. she was very much addressing an, uh, an American audience, you know, American business audience. In Singapore. In Singapore, talking to them. Um, and, and, and I didn't get the sense that she was lecturing anybody, mm-hmm. uh, you know, outside of that outside of that room, right? Um, you know, talking about what the U.S. stands, in, stands for and believes in, but there was, there was no, um, this other country should do this or this other country should do that from, from my recollection, my perspective. Yeah, so. and the, the issue for the business community is, is, is you, you know, if you're going to set up a regional headquarters, wherever it is, right? If you're gonna, and and the, are you allowed to bring all of your employees to that country, um, uh, or are they going to be obstacles, and that's the word she used, right? Are there going to be obstacles to having them come here? And then that becomes a decision the business the businesses have to make for themselves. Um, and this is where Singapore says, is, is drawing the line in this statement that was released from the Ministry of Home, yeah. Home Affairs, you do what you want in as, as a business, um, but you do not cross the line into telling Singapore how it should be uh, addressing its laws on what would be, right, it, it's, yeah. it, the, the quote is, right, that uh, these are matters for Singaporeans to discuss and come to a consensus on how to move forward. And so did, MH, did MHA have to release that statement uh, in, in a result to what, what Speaker Pelosi said? Speaker Pelosi does deliver that message. She delivers it everywhere. So I do think she has to deliver that message. Um, and then the question is, what is the, the fallout and what should the Singapore government be doing and what should businesses be doing? But on that point, just briefly, you know, yourselves are involved with the American Chamber of Commerce. You make those comments, it's fine. But as you said yourself, third-ranking official, United States House Speaker makes those comments. It's impossible. It's very difficult not to infer there's a political advocacy element to it, regardless of the context yeah, and the yeah. audience. And that's why I think she has to be very sensitive. And you talk about whether it does more harm than good. The comments I saw online to response to those stories actually does do more harm than good because it plays into the stereotypes. This is Western values being imposed. This is Western lifestyle choices being imposed. It added so much fuel to an unnecessary fire at a very, very sensitive juncture in Singapore right now with regards to 377A. I think like Taiwan, maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been better because it's just added a lot of unnecessary fuel to a very volatile fire. And I think you would find many... And maybe you would even say most diplomats would agree with you on that as well. The timing was not um, – it wasn't it – wasn't, uh, it's always the right time to stand up for what you believe in as a person or what you believe in as a country. Not a problem there. But at this moment in time, in this region, were those two issues really – Well, just flip it for yeah. a second. Let's just imagine for argument's sake it was a far-right Republican – Politician speaking to business leaders in Singapore and saying we must support pro-life, anti-abortion sentiments in Singapore. The backlash would have been huge. Would that be fair to say? No, of course. It would be considered political advocacy in Mm. the same way. Mm. The the question is, when you are the United States government, you 
part of what we do is we stand up as is the government right for human rights and and the united states government considers you know lgbtq rights to be a human right and i i would contest that this is not a Western construct. There are plenty of other countries, not Western, that recognize those rights as well. And so you have the political questions, when is the time to bring it up? Do you bring it up behind closed doors? Do you bring it up to a business community? Do you tell the business community they should be delivering a message from the United States? That's where I think you can you can have a really legitimate argument about, is this going to advance what Nancy Pelosi wants to advance, what the mm. United States government wants to advance, mm. what most businesses want to advance from their headquarters perspective? Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the timing is, is a, a legitimate question to ask. Ask is this going to do more harm than good? I think this is going to, to, to not be relevant to the debate that happens in Singapore. The Singaporeans are going to decide this um, clearly. And, and, that, and, and yeah. this isn't going to influence. Which was the point. Which was the yeah. point and this from isn't the ministry gonna, statement. Yeah, yes. And this isn't going to influence it one way or yeah, the other. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. You uh, alerted me to an article this week about some uh, ESG uh, topics. As you know, you've been you've been great article by the way. Hot on the great trail article. of ESG. Uh, the headline in Echo Business was "quote unquote greenwashing hogwash." DBS Bank's Echo Warrior in quotes marketing brag draws flack in social media. The Singapore Bank's "more like an Echo Warrior, less like a bank" tagline did not sit well with critics. This is according to the story, who said a social media post promoting the bank's decision to quit coal by 2039 was greenwashing. And the uh, criticism drew a response from the bank's CEO, Piyush Gupta. Look, the starting point is that DBS is doing a good job on from an environmental perspective. They're the first Singaporean-based lender to commit to a timeline to shift away from fossil fuels. They have uh, net zero uh, commitments, and they've joined the, the UN's net zero banking lines. They are doing good things on the economy. But to say that they are more like an eco-warrior and less like a bank <laughs> is ridiculous. Mm. They are not more like an eco-warrior and less like a bank, and that's one of their new taglines. They are a bank. They are a bank that is trying to do a good job on becoming more environmentally sustainable. They are, they are a bank that is taking that debate about, well, when you transition away from coal and other fossil fuels, you have an impact on people's lives because there are people who depend on this for their electricity, for, for their cooking, their heating, their air con, whatever it may be, their, their businesses. And so we have to be careful as we do this energy transition. But don't say you're less like a bank and more like an eco-warrior. It's it just – and so it's a – I just – I find this to be an own goal um, and I do think DBS is going to have to change that tagline. Well, you're not alone. I mean reading that article, Su'i Yap, a climate investor and former economist with the Monetary Authority of Singapore said in regards to those comments, I hope this was the work – of an ignorant, errant speechwriter and hmm. social media officer rather than the true opinions held by the DBS leadership. It just does read like a real PR own yeah. goal here, doesn't it? Because whatever noble intentions you have, and I agree with your point completely, you know, they're, they're, they're the first of their kind to do it in the industry. They're trying to lead the way on green initiatives, but 
Greta Thunberg. They are not. (laughs) They're a bank. They're they're a bank. They're a very good bank. Um, They're a sustainable bank, but they are a bank. And although I'll tell you, Neil, there's there's one thing, and Glenn, too, that that jumped out in this article as I I read it the second time. And when it was going to to quote, you know, Piyush, it said, the India-born CEO said the decision. Why do you have to say the India-born CEO? I mean, you know. Piyush I mean, is – microaggressions are ridiculous. Would it say, you know, if, if, as, if, if they were reviewing this, you know, radio show, the, the British-born Neil Humphreys? I, I mean, mean it's – There's I been a sinister element to that Well, actually, years. in that case <laughs> – Yeah, exactly. It's not so bad. But, uh, no, there's been an element of that. The joke used to be years ago, the 100-meter Olympic champion, the British gold medalist Linford Christie or Jamaican-born mm. drug-tested positive <laughs> Linford Christie. You know, so there's always been those microaggressions right. in those – subtle adjectival uh, descriptions but is, I mean is it a serious thing when I read it or is it a bit of a storm in a LinkedIn teacup you know there's lots of arguing going on back and forth on LinkedIn about this well if you don't want to be accused of greenwashing what you need to do as a business is you say look here are the ways we have a negative impact on the environment we have a negative impact on the environment if you're a bank through your data centers and how much, you know, how much greenhouse gases are being emitted in, in terms of the operation of those data centers. We have the biggest impact in terms of mm. how we provide financing. Are we providing financing um, to, to energy companies, especially those that are in fossil fuel? So you outline where you're harming the environment and then, you're out, and then you outline what steps are you taking to mitigate that harm, to reduce that harm? Um, where are you making improvements? So you could be reducing the harm by phasing out coal and you could be making improvements by financing solar, wind, uh, maybe supporting, you know, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, all of these other ways you can be advancing it. But you have to be talking about how you're trying to to do both. And what DBS is doing here is saying they are acting more like an eco warrior is greenwashing because it's it's trying to wash away it's the the harm that it is causing and it, if it just took a more active and honest approach it would be getting all the benefits yeah. the interesting thing was too and one of the other points made was they've committed to getting rid of coal by 2039, 17 years away from now, which by then we'll all be cooked. You I know. suspect, yeah, we'll uh, all be know, on fire. We'll, you know, turn us over, fry us on both sides yeah. uh, in terms of the, of the climate. So that was the other part of it that, that came out. And, and look, we all understand from a business perspective, it takes time to unwind investments and all of that. But the comments online were 17 years, really? And you're an echo warrior? Uh, yeah. Seems more like an, you know. And, like, and this know. is a tough debate. Now, again, the, the, the DBS said they're going to stop financing customers that derive more than half of their revenue from coal by 2026 and then completely stop coal lending by 2039. So they are trying to, to, to hasten it a bit. Um, but again, as we're in this energy transition, there are always trade-offs. And when you talk about ESG, if, you, if, you're, if you're increasing your sustainability from an E perspective, you're usually having a negative impact in the S perspective, mm-hmm. right? So you reduce the amount of electric- electricity generated by coal, but that has an impact on people's livelihoods. It may have an mm-hmm. impact on, on their jobs, um, on their yeah. ability to find. So you have all of these trade-offs when you have yeah, in this yeah. energy transition. Of DBS is thinking through all those things, and, and they're, they're doing such a good job, yet – 
They, I, get, I, yeah. oh, they lose it by, by this type of greenwashing. As said, as I said, nobody disputes that. It's just the term eco-warrior. It's, it's such a vivid, emotive term to use and to try to promote yourself as. Mike's comment, many offices are too cold. Increase the <laughs> aircon temperature by just one degree, especially on cold, rainy days, and show some action, not just motherhood statements and marketing fluff. Hey, if Mike Ang were in the studio right now, we could, we could raise the temperature by five degrees. <laughs> and, and He's right about He is right about that one degree thing. Yeah. It drives me crazy <laughs> in Singapore. It really our, does. All right. Our last story is, a f- I think, a fun one, which is it, coming off of a serious story, which was the um, the Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade, a woman's right to uh, choose her own health choices as it relates to abortion um, or uh, et cetera. And now a Democratic representative says, okay, if you're going to ban abortions, let's also ban male fertility pills, right? Erectile dysfunction pills, right? So talk about hitting you where you live. Yeah, exactly. Talk, take us through this one, Steve. Well, and do take me through it slowly. Okay. Because good, I read it several good for the times, goose. So I struggle with good it. Good for the goose, good for the gander sort of thing. Okay, well, the, it's a background on this. So you've got all of these states are now rewriting their laws because of the Supreme Court saying that the states can now have total control over whether or choosing whether a woman can have the an abortion or not. So, for example, on the one hand, in Georgia, there is now a new law that says if you have an unborn child with a, detect- with a detectable human heartbeat, so that's a, it's six weeks, the taxpayers can now get an exemption uh, <laughs> because you have a child. So you now get a, a an exemption off of your taxes because you have a child if you have a, a fetus with a detectable wow. heartbeat. So now – what you know, the the uh, Stacey Abrams, the woman running as a Democrat for uh, uh, Georgia uh, governor right now, her her spokesperson said, "Well, what happens if you claim your fetus as a dependent and then you miscarry? Could you be investigated for both tax fraud?" And an illegal abortion. So what's going to happen in Georgia? There was the case in Texas where a woman is dri- – a pregnant woman is driving in an HOV, in a high-occupancy vehicle lane. She's driving by herself and you have to have you know, two or three people in the, in the vehicle yeah. um, to be able to go into that lane. And so she gets pulled over by the police. She gets a ticket. She said, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. No. Therefore, I have two people. No. And the police say, oh, no, you don't. And she says, well, no, you say that a fetus is a human life. Life, therefore, wow. I can drive in an HOV lane. She's now taking that to court. Wow. And then what happened in Indiana is now the Republicans in Indiana, or certainly a majority of Republicans in Indiana, are introducing an anti-abortion bill. A Democratic representative put an amendment onto that bill that says we also need to outlaw erectile dysfunction drugs. <laughs> because if we're going to force young girls to be mothers— then we also have – we shouldn't be not forcing the men to be fathers. <laughs> oh, it just gets so and, – and, it's, it's an act of God. Well, no, if an unwanted pregnancy is an act of God, impotency is an act of God. And if you can't give the woman the right to choose, you shouldn't allow men to be able to overcome their reproductive uh, rights oh. issues. Um, and so the – 
Democrats where, are making a point. Where was this guy when I was a young man? I could have said to the woman, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's an act of God. It's an act of God. It's not me. Well, and 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 so the, the, the thread on Twitter that came after this was great, and it, it brought up all kinds of other comparisons. Like, for example, if you build your house in a place where it's torn down by a hurricane or a tornado or whatever – it was God's will, yep. you know, according to how they view it. And you should not be compensated by the government, by government uh, disaster funds to get it rebuilt, you know. And there are all kinds of threads all along this. And you know what? I guess you could, you know, you got to be able to make that, uh, if you're going to go with the religious angle If you're going to take it, the act of God angle, yeah. it could be extrapolated out to, to almost everything. anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, that, I mean, and this is where you get these absolutist laws in the United States that say, it is a human life. It doesn't matter if it's from a woman was raped. It doesn't matter if the woman or, or girl was impregnated because it's incest. Um, it doesn't matter that the woman's right, uh, that her life could be in jeopardy um, because we have to protect the life of the fetus mm -hmm. and that the life of the fetus is equal to a life of a child. And there are other religious groups that say, well, no, that's against our religion. <laughs> to to not allow a woman to have uh, an abortion if it's going to save her life, you have to you have to save the living human life, and so this is what is devolving. And what was really interesting in the U.S. is that Kansas, which is a very conservative state, um, they wanted to amend the Kansas Constitution to make abortion um, illegal, and that got voted down. Wow. Um, and so now you're seeing where the majority of the country is, and it's about 60 to 70 percent say there should be a, a woman should have a right to choose. Maybe you've put a little bit of limits around it in some areas or another, but there should be that inherent right. And so now you're getting a lot of, um, you know, some of it's satirical and some of it yeah, is well, serious, well, like the tax exemption in Georgia. I'm going to try it next time I'm on an American flight or my, my wife is pregnant. You, you can't check, but she, she's pregnant. I definitely heard a heartbeat this morning. I heard a heartbeat. Uh, I want an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want extra it's, leg room. Uh, well, and, and, you know, if we had more time, which we don't, unfortunately, then you can talk about, you know, one of the whole reason behind the separation of church and state uh, originally in the U.S. Uh, governance uh, structure and, you know, where that might actually have a bit of an advantage in terms of being able to take some of these uh, topics out of the equation. Yeah. And and a, some, a similar discussion is playing out right now in Singapore this week in the Straits Times. You can read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Steve, uh, thank you for your time today. As always, great to, great to have you with us. Uh, to listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.